OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to uh, uh, the Supporters Fund Ask an Angel. And today we're very excited to have a gentleman that has been uh, working through the angel system over the last couple of years. I got to meet him probably, I'm going to say, three years ago. And uh, in that time, uh, Galen supported us through our events at OPN. And he has also uh, worked through a startup that he had. And now he is heading up uh, the York Angels uh, group. So a lot of transformation, a lot of great things. So I'm excited today to be uh, sitting down and having a chat with you. Uh, we're, uh, we're on a roll today. This is uh, our third interview in total so far, Galen. We're continuing to roll these out and uh, bring a, a little bit more FaceTime to all of the, uh, the people in the ecosystem, especially the angels. So thank you for joining and uh, let's jump right into it. So first question, uh, why do you invest in startups? What interested you in it? Well, why do I invest in startups? I, I think the uh, major thing for me is, is the fact of working with um, really uh, intelligent uh, entrepreneurs that are excited and really um, trying to push a great idea. Um, uh, not having kids myself, this almost kind of gives me the ability to, to uh, mentor and, and take on working with a lot of uh, younger folks uh, without having that baggage of having to have raised them. Um, you know, so you get them at the good point where they really want to do something. Um, and, and I think it's the excitement of working with those folks, but also seeing new technology, seeing what's coming down the pipe. Um, I've always in my career uh, been involved in trying to look, as I say, kind of look around corners, right, and see what's coming next. Um, and so working with the startup uh, community and working with companies gives me that opportunity to see what neat and different ideas are, you know, people are working on that are possibly going to be hitting us in a, you know, two or three years from now. Okay, great. And that's some great insight into, you know, everybody wants to follow the innovation. So that's good to get in at the ground level to, uh, to meet and, and learn more from uh, the young entrepreneurs that are coming through young and old. Um, how did you get started investing? What was the, maybe your first investment or what was the thing that really got you really gung-ho about this and why you jumped into it? Uh, the, probably the, the biggest reason that I jumped into investing in startups um, was the fact that I created my own startup. And so I had uh, left the corporate career and had jumped into the startup world. It's something I'd always wanted to do. It had been imprinted on me from uh, from my family, uh, where I had seen that happen, uh, where my parents at a uh, later stage had left their corporate lives and then, and then created a startup uh, in their early 50s that became a very successful software company in, in Canada. So, I, I, you know, to me, it was imprinted to kind of take that entrepreneurial route out of corporate. And I started to see that some challenges around getting the funding. I saw there were some gaps in in trying to get funding, particularly as an older uh, entrepreneur, there, were, there weren't nearly as many programs that are available from the government. So you really are relying on, um, on trying to get investment. And, and then there was a little bit, I found myself that there was a little bit of ageism that was going on in that uh, 
people were willing to take a, a, a chance on an unproven younger person than someone, say, who had uh, a lot more experience from the older side. And, and so it kind of bothered me. And I said, you know what, I need to understand more about this whole investment angle. So I spent a lot of time sort of educating myself on the whole investment ecosystem and how it all works. And, and the more I got in that rabbit hole, the more I actually thought I would much rather be doing this and doing the investment, investing side and working within the investing ecosystem um, and starting to work with more startups than actually spending a lot of time on my own startup. And so it was really, that was kind of got me excited. And then, and then as you start spending time um, mentoring and working with startups and, and becoming an advisor and getting advisory shares or starting to put your own dollars behind them, that's kind of where the excitement comes. It, it almost becomes a little bit like gambling in some ways that you're taking stakes and uh, into organizations. And um, so you, you kind of get the bug once you get going on it. Oh, 100%. Once you start diving into it, you start finding out little nuances and ways that you can help improve and guide. And it is pretty exciting space for sure. Um, what is your, what's your favorite part of investing? Uh, you've been doing it a couple of years now. So what is that one key piece that's really opened everything up and you really get jazzed about? Sure. My, I think my favorite part of the investing is really spending time with the entrepreneurs. Um, whether it's, whether I'm making the investment or not, I think it's the spending the time um, to mentor them, to help them through um, what problems they're facing. Uh, typically, I'm a, I'm a go-to-market guy. I'm, I'm not, uh, that's my, my background. So um, the reality is uh, the majority of startups will fail because they actually can't do go-to-market. They can't, they can't get to the market properly. They can't make those initial first sales or they start the initial first sales and can't follow up with that. And so um, I do like to spend a lot of time with founders going through their go-to-market and, and understanding what they can do and, and how they can push in different directions or how do they find different entries into the marketplace. And so that, that to me is what I enjoy uh, the most. Uh, that's my, my favorite part of it is really just spending those time. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of affirmation that comes from that. Um, we all love our ego strokes. So when, you know, when, when you see somebody, uh, have some success um, in the marketplace and you know you were part of, uh, of those discussions with them to help them get there, it makes you feel great. Uh, and so the, there's a lot of give back on that side. Well, I like that. There's, uh, there really is a lot, of, um, a lot of attention that you can put into uh, the operational side and getting people their successes by teaching those uh, go-to-market strategies. And you're right, there's a uh, like anything, there's a lot of moving pieces in a startup and finding that one that you're good at that you can really help uh, push through makes a big difference for that startup. Um, on average, how many investments do you look at doing per year? Uh, it, it will fluctuate. Again, I'm, I'm relatively new into this. I, I uh, started off as an angel investor three years ago at York Angels. Um, and so the first year I probably looked at 20 opportunities um, and didn't make uh, one investment my first year, which was kind of what I was coached to do is uh, don't Smart jump play. in with two feet, <laughs> yep. look at as many as you can, but don't invest in them. Um, and then so, so the second year uh, I invested in, in two companies uh, that year um, and, and then took on advisory roles in two companies uh, that year. And then, 
Uh, my third year, uh, I've done three investments so far this year, uh, plus picked up another advisory position. Um, and so I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build out. I think the philosophy is is to build out a portfolio um, over you know probably a four year to five year time horizon of you know twenty to twenty five companies um, that will give me a balanced portfolio, you know, a balanced view of a five to seven year time horizon for some to start to exit. But you really do, as an angel investor, you you the more investments you can make, the greater your chances of, of getting a winner are going to be. And you do need those winners to help balance off the ones that are not going to make it. So, you know, to go in and think, oh, I can do this on three or four investments is, is not, that's not really going to be successful. You're, you're unless you just, you know, uh, hit a, hit a lottery, right. And, and your first or second one scores big, then you're just playing with house money after that. But uh, the, the, you know, you, you have to go in with the mindset saying, I'm, I'm going to invest over a period of time into X number of companies. And, and so what that X is, is up to you as an investor. But, uh, and same thing as a founder talking to, to investors is understand what they're, how many of the companies there are they trying to invest in and, and, uh, and be a part of. No, that's fantastic. You took a whole different approach to how a lot of uh, investors look at it. They may say, well, I'm going to invest in five companies a year. And uh, what you've done is every year you're doubling your investments. So the more you learn, the more you're getting comfortable to start taking more investments on, more advisory roles on, uh, so that you hit a goal of a certain number, which I think is fantastic because then that way you're open-minded to anything that comes at you. So uh, I love that approach. That's fantastic. Uh, are there any verticals that you like to focus on? Um, yeah, that's interesting. I've, uh, I've kind of actually changed. I've, you know, kind of this, this approach I've taken over the years. I first started looking at sort of marketplaces, which was where my startup was in. Um, I've actually kind of pivoted off of that in that I'm not sure I want to stay in marketplaces. And COVID is probably teaching me that maybe that's not the best place to be in. Um, but now I, I co-invest. My wife has now kind of joined our team, and and uh, and we've kind of taken this philosophy that we want to really only invest in companies that we see as um, being having positive life change uh, for people. So whether that's um, in health tech, uh, you know, whether it's in um, something to do with uh, you know um, uh, mental recovery or mental health, you know. So we really are looking for. Um, types of startups that have that ability to make people's lives better um, and not in a, uh, this is more in a needs versus wants perspective. Well, you know, people need certain things. They need mental health. They need personal health. Um, they maybe want to buy a new pair of shoes. So I'm not sure I want to stay in the wants category and more in the needs category. No, that's great. I was told a long, long time ago, I, can't remember exactly when it was, probably sometime in my uh, late teens or early 20s when I was playing with uh, the markets. And someone told me you should only invest in companies that you use and you believe in. Because if you're using them, they're solving your problem. If you're just investing in everything else, uh, then it's not solving your problem and you can't control the outcome because you can't, you're not a user. You don't know what's going to happen with the product. You don't know where it's going. So uh, same idea, right? You start to find things that in your niche or things that you like to really gravitate to, or as you 
uh, mature in your investing, you start to see where there's bigger buckets of problems and that you can start to focus and hone in on that. So that's uh, kudos. That's great. Uh, when you're doing your due diligence requirements, is there uh, anything that you like to look for before making a commitment? Are there certain factors that really set aside your DD that will help you cross that line? Uh, probably the biggest one is, is the founder. Um, I've, uh, as somebody who's, um, I've, I've spent a lot of time uh, in, my, in my corporate life and, and even in my university life, really trying to understand people. Um, and, and so uh, I really started to look at this whole concept of, of who are the right founders and what makes a good founder. Um, and, and, and so that X factor of, of who that founder is, uh, you know, we, we've gotten into a situation, unfortunately, I think in, uh, certainly I can speak from a North American perspective, but, uh, you know, corporate jobs are going away and we're, we're pushing, um, we're pushing university students into entrepreneurial life and not everyone's set up for it. It's not, it is not the best life. It's a hard life. It's, it's certainly hard to be a founder. Um, it, you know, the, the suicide rates in the Valley are pretty high in, in the startup founder world. And it's a lonely, it's a, it's a difficult thing to be in. And I say not everyone's set up for it. And so to find that X factor in somebody, the, the person who, um, has that sort of warrior mentality, the, you know, almost likened to, uh, you know, to, to a, uh, a sports superstar, right? They've got. You know, not there's people who can play professional sports, but it's really that person who's that superstar, right? What does it take to be that? What is it? And 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 that's not that's something you're born with. Like it's just that ability, that innate ability. And so I'm trying to find those things, those people that are when the back when their backs to the wall, that's actually when they perform even better. And and uh, that's a tough thing to find because there's no test. There's really no testing for it. It's really spending time with those founders which is why I like to spend time with them before I make an investment, before I even go to due diligence, the more time I can spend with founders to get to know them and break bread with them and get a feel for them, the greater chances there are that I'll invest in that, uh, that startup as well. So you're taking the, the founder and, and you're kind of diving in, learning a bit about how they work and figuring out how they, they work inside of some sort of, uh, when they're in adversity, when their back's against the wall, is there any sort of um, paperwork that you look at that's really important that you want to make sure that they have done? Is it projected forecasts? Is it uh, that they understand financials? Like, is there something else in there? Are you kind of just, you know what, for now it's you. Later stages, you might need some of that stuff, but for now, let's just stick to the founder. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Like at the early stages, I mean, you, you know, you're, you'd be aware of this. You, you, you invest in the same asset class. You know, there's, there's, there's just so much speculation that has to go into this level, right? So, you know, somebody who, who comes up with a three-year plan, um, very detailed plan, that's great. Thank you very much. But, you know, uh, everyone's got a great plan until they get punched in the face, right? And, and, that, and that's the reality of it. You got you to gotta know uh, how to do those things. I think, A, I do want to see someone who's got a business plan. I want to see that they've got, that they've put some thought and consideration into what it is they're doing, right? Whether it's, you know, we're never going to have detailed views of what the total market size is. A lot of that, again, is speculation, but show me, show me the work, show me that you've spent the time to go through that. And you've started to think about um, what, 
you know, how, how might I navigate within this world? Again, we're at a very early stage, so so many things will change. What won't change will be the founder, right? That business could change completely from when you start to when it actually gets some type of exit, if it ever exits, but that founder is going to be constant. And, and that, if I really believe in that founder, um, that company they have might fail, but the next one they go into might not because they've learned a bunch of things. So again, I'm, I'm more interested in tagging myself to that founder, but they have to show that they've done the work. They have to, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't have a crystal ball on anybody. Right. It's like, so I won't get wowed over by somebody who's a showman and, 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 you know, has all the bells and whistles. I want to see that. Yeah. Okay. You've done the work. You've shown me that you've got that little bit of X factor. Okay. I'm willing to go along for the ride here. I'm willing to invest my time, my effort, my money, whatever it might be that they ask of me to be part of their journey. Uh, so that's, that's more of it, but it, you know, when it comes down to the paperwork, it's, um, uh, you know, it, it's, there is just so much speculation that it's hard to 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 gravitate toward uh, you know uh, a cash flow analysis or uh, a marketplace analysis you know show me you've, you've developed some kpis show me that you have thought about how this should grow um because then that's what we'll measure we're going to go back and we're going to go look at how did you get from point a to point b and was it right was you know this, these are experiments and so so show me how you're going to create the experiment, and then then we'll 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 dive into the completion of that experiment. No, that's a great analogy. The uh, the experiment side, the looking at you know this is where I'm going to start is my hypothesis, and then start knocking some of these off and having a KPI list so that one you're accountable to yourself, but you're also accountable to your investors. So uh, that's a a great way to uh, to put that. Um, on my next question, do you look at leading rounds? Do you look at um, just participating? Is it something that you look at doing in the future? How do you, how do you see that? Yeah, I don't, I don't have the um, capital wherewithal to lead around at this point in time. I think if I, if I have a huge home run, then I would probably want to take a lead round. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I certainly um, want to get engaged and that's why I've taken on some advisor roles um, where I'll sort of try to give that lead as a leadership of trying to help that company as much as I can. But um, at this point in time, I'm not in a capital position to, uh, to lead around, um, but I will certainly lead the effort at a York Angels level. Like lead, uh, I will definitely you know, take the lead on a due diligence for a group of people and spearhead the discussion uh, and try to you know bring the investment in uh, from that perspective. Well, I think one of the things you just brought up there, which is a another great point, is that you don't have to. It's leading isn't always leading by uh, financial. It's leading by being a, a proper advisor, by helping guide everybody else into that same uh, room, helping them guide them through that business build and growth. It's actually a very uh, prudent needed uh, role that we don't see a lot of, right? Sometimes someone gets allocated because it's around funding versus around how is this business gonna grow? Where's the strategy? How are the other things gonna be brought together uh, on the team? Who's gonna be working this? So I, I think there's a lot of value in both and you still can lead from the other side as well. And, and I think that's actually uh, just as important if not more important. So uh, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, in the uh, investments that you have done or through York Angels, is there a preferred method that uh, you, for terms that you'd like to go with and that you kind of push out 
to the masses or at least to the groups that you're part of uh, when making an investment? Uh, no, I, you know what, I, I don't think there's any preferred one. Again, we're, we're at that early stage. It all depends on um, what, the, what the startup feels comfortable with. Um, sometimes it comes down to the cost. There's a greater cost of doing uh, doing a shared round, doing share rounds versus uh, a convertible debt. Um, convertible debt uh, will allow you to put a cap value on it, so you kind of kick the valuation down the road, right? When you're when you're doing a share round, an equity round, you do have to put a valuation on it, so there is a little more scrutiny that goes into how do you how do you price up uh, what it is that you're doing. Um, I'm not one who shies away from safes. Uh, there are a lot of investors in in Ontario that are not fans of safes. Um, I was raised on a safe in my company, so I would be uh, a bit of a hypocrite if I said that I wouldn't invest in someone else's safe. Um, but it has to be a safe that has a cap value. Um, I, I have been asked to participate in safes with no cap value. I, I wouldn't do that because it doesn't, it, you still need to have some baseline that you're working toward, right? And uh, so I think it's just what, what works best um, for the startup. I think it's what, uh, again, I don't want to make it an onerous task for them. They've got so many other things that they're doing um, that, you know, to get stuck on, you know, do, you, do we want common shares? Do we want pref shares? You know, try to figure out evaluation. That, that's all time wasting for an early stage startup. And let's let the BCs, Let's let them deal with that if they can get to the VC stage. I want to get them to the VC stage. That's what's important so they can get to the next round or get to a PE or whatever it would be, right? So um, at this stage, look, whatever, whatever is the easiest road to get money in, that's, that's the avenue I want to try to take and be as founder-friendly as possible. It's awesome. And uh, you're right, there is a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say a lot of controversy, but enough that it balances around that people aren't comfortable with certain aspects of uh, the investment. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're there to help the startup and make sure that it benefits both of you. So you'll work something out no matter what in the end. So thank you. Uh, also, I guess in the same realm, we've kind of worked our way through learning a bit more about the startup phase, uh, why you're investing and then jumping right into the types of investments you make and uh, that's the get behind the team, getting behind the, the owner of the business. So now you're looking at um, leading rounds and, and all of this great stuff. You're kind of going through this ecosystem. Is there, um, do you set aside one funds for follow-up investments? And do you look at taking board seats? You mentioned taking advisory roles. So would you also look at taking a board seat if you really believe in that company? Um, so as far as, my my the money I've set aside. I do have money set aside for follow on rounds, but I've not none of mine are to the point yet where um, there's that requirement uh, yet. So none of them have, have gotten to the point where they're going into that next round and there's pro rata rights or anything else. Um, so, but I uh, my philosophy is 50% of what I've put aside is for new fresh investments, and I'm holding 50% for follow on. And really, that's so I can double down on the winners. And that's, again, a philosophy of how do you make this thing work? How do, if, I'm, if I think about this like any kind of, you know, like I don't want to call it gambling, but if, you know, if I were <clears throat> to equate this to, to a gamble, 
if you know you've got a winner, you're going to want to double down on it, right? And so that's why I'm holding aside capital for that um, and in the hopes that I do have some that are that are moving in that direction, but none have yet given me that opportunity. Um, as far as the um, uh, board seats, for sure, I would uh, be happy to take a board seat on a company. Um, you know, typically, they're, the companies are going to want you to put in a substantial amount of money to take a board seat. Um, so uh, at this point in time, I would, uh, and then the other is it's, it's the amount of time required, right? Um, you want to make sure that if you're taking a board position that you are adding value, that you are there for them, that you can spend the appropriate amount of time. And so I would want to make sure that if, if I'm going to make that commitment to be on the board, that I'm making 100% commitment to do that versus as an advisor, you know, you're, you're called in for certain things. You can be there to review something for them, but it's not or help and open a door and, and bring a relationship to them. So it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not as structured as if I'm going to be on a board, you know, there's a lot of requirements around making sure that you're doing your fiduciary duty uh, in conjunction with that. So, um, but that being said, you know, I, I would definitely be open to working on a board um, if, if, the, if it was the right opportunity for me and, and I knew that I could add value to, to the equation. No, that's great. And, and it's something to look forward to, right? I think there's a, a lot of companies that will start to open up to that and, and uh, obviously jump on the knowledge that you bring to that. Um, on the next, uh, the, the question, we kind of touched a little bit on this, but outside of financial things, you do advising, what are the, the other things that you try to do and would help startups with kind of working their way through this system? Uh, what are the, the key factors that you really try to help and get those companies to focus on so they do have a better chance of success? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I, I will like, I do like to um, spend time with, with startups well before the funding uh, phase even starts. So um, getting involved with, you know, with your OPM pitches, there's a lot of companies that I've connected with and, and stayed in contact with and will help them through um, getting themselves pitch ready, getting them to understand the mindset of an investor. It might not be me as the investor, but what should they be looking at doing? How, how should they be framing their pitch deck to, to, to uh, get the best attention? When is the right time to go for funding? Uh, should I even go for funding, right? So, so I've, I, there's, there's a group of, of founders that I just continue to try to work with and, and my door is always open to them, probably more than, <clears throat> probably more than it should be in some cases because I'm, I also have other stuff to do, but, <clears throat> but I, I do love being able to spend time um, with those startups to do that. And, you know, so it's, <clears throat> it's more of that. I think just, you know, being involved in the ecosystem, if I'm ever asked to come in and, uh, and be in a, on a panel, uh, I, I love to do that and, and, uh, and be a part of those conversations. Uh, you know, if I'm asked to come in and uh, judge an event, you know, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to come in and do that. Uh, because again, it's just, I think being part of an ecosystem gives you a great opportunity to, to see new people. There's always new people showing up, um, uh, in the, you know, in the, in, at these events that are looking for advice. And that was one thing I, for me as a founder, when I came in and maybe it was an age thing, maybe it was just me not feeling comfortable that I was coming from the outside into this ecosystem. 
uh, because my last corporate, last couple of years in corporate, I was a global guy. I wasn't even living in Toronto. And here I was sort of stopping all that and then coming into that ecosystem. I didn't really have anybody. I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have, um, there was nobody that I could turn to as a mentor to help me to go through the whole funding process. And so I felt like a fish out of water. And so I know what it's like for these founders, you know, if they're, if they're in the same situation I was in coming out of corporate and not having those connections or coming out of university, you know, and what do I do? And how do I, how do I put this together? And um, I'm not an expert in all those things, but at least I can, if I can help and guide them through that, then that's a, then that's a good, a good thing. Um, there's a question. Do you want uh, on the questions on the side, do you want to, uh, us to answer any of those or, but we'll get to those after we have a set okay. list. And then uh, if we've got some time, okay. we'll jump into those. Uh, Perfect. And that's great. So I, I think uh, being able to um, uh, take the, the things that you've gone through and learning from that, it's going to really help you hone in and help the, the startups as well through that, through the ecosystem. But that's some, some great uh, reasons on why you're helping. So based on the markets, the states and everything, the state of the market right now, have you seen a pullback of, have you looked at, well, maybe I should uh, pull back on maybe making some investments or pull back on the amount of companies that you see and talk to, or have you increased? How have you kind of balanced through this whole COVID-19 um, pandemic scare that uh, is kind of running rampant around right now? Uh, I, I am 100% open for business. Um, I think that uh, at York Angels, we're 100% open for business. We're, um, the challenge right now is is the valuation gap um and so it's a it's a big conversation around where did valuations run up to where should they really be where are they in in, in relation to the overall market be it us or canada and at the same time where investors have opportunities so we as investors um, at the end of the day, we're in this to make money. Like, 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 you know, no, no founder should fool themselves on that. We, at the end of the day, we, we, we have, we have to make some return out of this. Now that return could be some personal return out of it and being able to coach that. But uh, at the end of the day, we're also giving money in the hopes of making a return. And we have a, a set number that we're, that we're looking for a return. When we're seeing opportunities, like we are in the capital liquid capital markets today, where, geez, you know what, the, the market just tanked. If I could take a portion of that money I'd set aside for angel investing and throw it in the capital markets to maybe make a quick double of my money or 30%, I can pull that money back out and I've got 30% more to now invest into my startup fund that I've sort of created, right? So, you know, founders have to understand that you're chasing capital and that capital can kind of move around uh, within a, 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 an angel investor's portfolio. And so I'm committed to the angel space. Um, but at the same time, I also have to be realistic and look at and go, geez, if I can make a quick 20% return on something, maybe I'm going to deploy over there and um, I may narrow my, my lens a little bit on what I'm going to do. And, and, and what's going to make me excited is if a founder comes in and goes, I've realized that the market's tanking. I've realized that, hey, my valuation's got to change. I've got to make myself as attractive as I can to an investor. And, and, and so we're starting to see some recognition of that, that, that the fundamentals have changed and the companies are starting to come in and 
and the valuations are starting to change and they're starting to look very good again. They're starting to see some really interesting opportunities. And so through COVID, we're, you know, it, it, it's just been a cycle and it will be a cycle and things will grow back again. But we're in this area where there are some great opportunities, but I think some founders also had to step back to secure what they were doing. So we may be seeing a little bit of uh, reluctance for companies coming forward for funding because I think they're also trying to take care of their own house, right? Like, uh, hey, well, I, gotta make, I gotta make sure I can keep things going and do I really wanna be balancing going off and trying to find an investor? So I know it's a big, a lot of things in that that I've just said, and I, I apologize, it's a lot of concepts in there. It could be a whole hour just talking about that. Uh, and I'm actually thinking of trying to put together something on that. But it is a, um, the, the, I guess the, the, the point of it is open for business, looking for opportunities, looking for great opportunities. And I think there are great opportunities out there and, and founders shouldn't be afraid to come forward and look for funding because, um, you know, we've done surveys at York Angels. Our investors are interested in still trying to find good opportunities. They're not sitting on their hands. Some of them are, some of them have gone to the sidelines, but there's still a good number of them out there that are looking for good investments and there's some great Canadian startups out there that they want to invest in. No, that's great. So you got to, as a startup, you've got to, got to sharpen the pencil, look for, um, look for ways to bring some more value back, uh, keep the interest from the angels and uh, you should be able to, to keep moving forward. But like you said, you got to keep out there and keep, um, keep looking for money and keep getting investments. So that's great. Uh, on the kind of um, more on the educational side of things, is there somewhere that you recommend uh, someone that's brand new decided, just like you were saying earlier, you, you kind of left corporate world, you're going to start something new and you don't have any mentorship, you don't have anywhere to go. Is there any places that you recommend for startups to first start out looking for information? Uh, anywhere from Mars, anywhere. You, you, you kind of have some go-tos. Is there somewhere where you think that people can really dig in, learn a bit more about their positioning and then move forward? Sure. Um, I, I think a, a, any of our uh, regional innovation centers, the RICs, um, so whether that be, depending on what community you're in, in a, certainly from Ontario perspective, um, you know, so whether that's Spark Center in Oshawa, whether that's Venture Lab in, in North York, uh, Markham, uh, Mars Downtown, Communitech, uh, out in Kitchener-Waterloo, I know I'm forgetting a couple others, there's a, there's a bunch of them around. Excellent resources. Um, Mars uh, is the backbone for all of them from an educational perspective. Um, one of the great things I think if you can get engaged with any of these groups is their research capability. Um, so if you're starting to put together your information or you need to do research, uh, they've got access to tremendous um, levels of research that will cost you tens of thousands of dollars on your own to get access to that you can get access to if you're a member of one of those groups. So highly, they probably hate me for saying that, but, um, but it, it definitely, they are great resources. They, they put on education, they do great support and the mentor, you know, they have a lot of mentors that work down with them. So I think getting engaged with one of those is, is good. It helps you get on the radar of, uh, of investors because we also work with those groups to help us with our office hours, to identify companies that will be raising in the next eight to you know, 16 months, get them on our radar now and get them working with us. And so you know, we run office hours with most of these groups 
to, um, to, to, to try to find those potential nuggets that are out there and start working with them. So 100% do that. Uh, NACO, uh, if you go to the NACO Canada website, they've got um, some great resources on their site. They've got links into all these different groups. Uh, so they've got links over to the educational area on on Mars. They've got links into uh, all sorts of different resources um, for you. The, the, the common doc. So if you're looking to raise, there's an area there where you can go in and uh, get some common uh, um, term sheets that you can work from. Uh, so those are, are excellent. And then I think just getting involved in, in the ecosystem. You know, the, we've got a great startup ecosystem here in Toronto. It's actually quite well advanced um, compared to most other cities. So, uh, you know, so whether it's, you know, going and uh, sitting through the OPN pitch stuff, I, you know, I'm going to give you a, a big shout out, to Jeffrey, because you've been such an amazing supporter in what you do. I love the fact you, you call it supporter fund because that's really what you have done for years. You know, so learning how to pitch, learning how to get in front of people and, and uh, hone your chops on going out and talking to investors and, and then getting their feedback. Um, so whether you go as a fly in the wall to watch what's going on and eventually get yourself to the point where you can go and do that. We've got TechTO. They've got great stuff going on there, right? So um, I think getting yourself into that ecosystem is really important. Push yourself. Uh, you know, and so there's there we're we're blessed to have a lot of great resources um, out there uh, that you can tap into. No, well, that's awesome, and you really rounded that out good with lots of uh, uh, good players in the ecosystems. You're you're bang on. You got to get in that ecosystem to learn, right? So I think um, to kind of we're getting close to, to wrapping up here. But one of the the bigger questions that I I always like to learn about is is there something that you've taken from all of the pitches you've seen, all of the businesses you've interacted with, and then all the companies that you've invested in? Is there one nugget there that you look at and say, this is the piece that you got to keep in mind in order to win, in order to be successful? And uh, it could be anything from uh, better communication internally or really honing in your focus into being really good on one thing and just knocking that out of the park. Is there one thing that you found that the companies that are winning that make their way up to the top, that they're doing really well, that people just seem to keep forgetting that they got to be part of or do? I don't know if there's one, because um, it, is, it, it is a juggling act. I don't think you can hone in on just trying to do one thing. You know, I'll go back to the, you know, the, to the analogy of a, of a sports superstar. They're, they're never good at just one thing, right? They're, they can see the open ice, right? They, or, you know, if they think about a Gretzky or a, or a Crosby, right? They know where to go, where the puck's going to be. They just have an innate ability, but there's other things they can do, right? They, you know, so you have to have the ability to, I think, um, be able to have a, a broad view of what's going on. You need to really understand how to deal with people, with your employees, your customers. So you've got to have that, that view um, uh, of, of not, and, and I think that the trap, unfortunately, for a lot of engineers is that's, that they're, they're very focused on their product. They're very focused on coding or whatever it might be, and maybe to the detriment of all the other things, but you really have to understand how to deal with people. Um, dealing with people is, is you've got to do it in everything you do, right? And so whether it's your employees, whether it's your customer, whether it's your, uh, your, your, uh, your, your suppliers, 
So you have to know how to deal with people. You, 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 you just can't be a ruthless person. Uh, you can't just go, I'm tunnel visioned here. You have to have that broad uh, view. You've got to be a good communicator, right? So whether that's communicating out to your shareholders on a quarterly basis, um, make sure they're aware of what's going on. Make sure that um, when, you're, when you're falling down, when things are falling down around you, uh, which is going to happen, it's going to happen, right? So that you're reaching out to somebody, that you're, that you're telling them, hey, I've got a problem and I need help. Because guess what? We're going to be the ones that are going to come out and help you, right? But we have to know. And if it's too late, if it's all fallen down, it's too late. We, you could have called us three months earlier. and We would have been there with buckets in hand to throw, you know, to, to, to get the fire out, right? So that's, you know, communication, so again, whether it be to your own employees, whether it be to your stakeholders, communication is, is super important. And don't feel embarrassed um, that, that you're having troubles or that there's a problem because we're all going to have them. You know, the wisdom of being in business for so many years is, you know, uh, I, I don't have enough hands and toes to count all the times that I've gotten in trouble. And then you, that you have to then call on other people around you for support. Um, it, it, it's, it's just going to happen, right? So I think communication to me is, is probably one of those X factors that you really have to work on. Um, most people do have to work on it. It's not, it's not, a, not a common trait for a lot of people. We have a lot of introverts that are coders and engineers and, you know, so um, you've got to get out of that shell and, and be able to communicate. So that might be the, if there was one big one, that would be it, right? Um, no, that's great. Yeah, communication is key. I think that goes all the way down to personal, all the way across the board is that uh, the more you can be at ease and, and sharing things to, and ask for help, it's amazing how many times more things will come your way and, and help you in the long run. So. Uh, being open-minded to that is, is certainly helpful. Uh, we have one question that I'll ask from the panelists and then I'll end it with um, kind of a projections question. So uh, if you take a board seat, um, is there, do you put an offer to anybody on a board seat? So do you give them shares and how does that look? How would you structure that? Um, and uh, that, yeah, that's the question. Sure. It's, um, it's a negotiation. Um, I think for any of them, I think depending on, how much time you would want somebody to partake in the board. Typically you do give uh, something back to somebody again, for being on your board. Um, if it's just a very simple board situation, it could be next to nothing. It just could be, Hey, someone wants to help you out. Um, but if, um, and by the way, it works on advisory as well. So you've got, um, there are advisory shares that you can give out. Um, there are board shares you can give out. And so it really is a negotiation with the person uh, across the table. And what do you, what do you need from them? So if I were to throw my founder's hat on, it'd be, what am I, what am I getting from this relationship with this person? What do I need in this re relationship with this person? And then how much is that worth to me? And, and then trying to determine, you know, is it, is it 1%? Is it 2%? Is it, you know, is it based on, uh, you know, a three-year time horizon or their commitments as an advisor? Do they need to introduce me to X number of potential clients uh, that I, I then have to go close? You know, don't make it incumbent upon the advisor to close the deal, but hey, if they're going to open doors, you know, so, um, so again, it's every, I think every one of them in the negotiation, there are some standard documents that you can find on the web. Um, you can, if you're involved with, 
founder, other founder groups. I'm sure other founders will have advisory um, uh, documents, uh, relationship documents that they'd be happy to share with you because they probably got them from somebody else, right? Because <laughs> they're not, they're, again, they're not, they're not typically standard. They are really kind of bespoke um, when it comes to what are you trying to get out of that relationship? No, well said. There's, uh, yeah, there's lots of different ways to coach that one through, but like you mentioned, there's uh, earnouts over three years. There's lots of different ways. So that's uh, all valuable uh, feedback and, and great positioning for a startup to think about. So the last question that I want to ask you is, how do you see the North American early stage investment market markets looking in the next 12 months and then in the next three years? So the world's shifting so fast right now. Uh, real, real estate's changing. Uh, corporate positioning of employees going to jobs is changing. Everything's moving. Flights are probably going to cost a million dollars to jump on a plane in, in the near future. So there's, there's a lot of change occurring. Is there a focus that investors are looking at? And where do you kind of project 12 months from now looking? And then, of course, the big spectrum is where are we going to be sitting in three years? Hold on a second. Let me, I got to see... Looking for my crystal ball. Um, I, I seem to be missing it. Oh, now. don't worry. I'm going to record this. Oh, wait, we are recording this, and then I'm going to play it back to you. So you better be right. Let's do this. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a that's a very big question. Very interesting question. So where would be? So if I think about 12 months from now, take it. Let's take it in two steps. That 12 months from now, I don't know that we we'll, we will have changed a whole lot. Um, in my opinion, I think we're still going to be. What will happen, I think, will be the shift in the types of investments that people are looking for. So if I go back to um, even as, you know, in, in November of last year when you know, nobody knew anything like this was even happening, right? The, the first words of, of uh, COVID happening were kind of December. So let's say November. We saw a lot of, of, of companies still out there. Um, pitching on um, wants versus needs, right? So a lot of marketplace stuff, a lot of uh, discretionary spending, a lot of travel type of uh, apps, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that was still focused on um, uh, on on personal consumption, right? I think that will shift. I think we're going to because we are seeing a dynamic change in. Um, what is going to happen for um, the world of travel? What's going to happen in the world of discretionary spending? Um, it, it is a, it's a whole different beast out there from that perspective. So anybody who is looking at trying to launch startups in that space, um, it's, it has it, now become very murky waters. Now, will some emerge out of that? They probably will. But you better have a pretty strong thesis. and be running some really interesting experiments, but I will bet you a lot of them are pivoting right now. They're trying to figure out what do I do? Their, their pipeline is completely gone. Uh, likewise, we had already started to see a shift from um, the growth at all cost model, right? So if I think about the, the WeWork um, and the Uber model, where it was just grow, 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 grow. Let's not worry about making a profit. We're just worried about bringing people on board and driving revenue. That was already starting to change. So, the, so that party had kind of ended. So we were already doing a lot more scrutiny on companies coming in saying, 
how are you going to get to profitability? Show me how you were, let's not worry so much about grow, grow, grow. So that I think will be even intensified more that we're going to see much more focus on how are you going to start turning a dollar here? And, and, and even in our investments at York Angels, we do prefer companies that are at least in the market. They could still, they could still be doing a, a free pilot but we want to see them quickly turning that to a paid pilot. We prefer a company that's already doing a, a paid pilot or are onboarding the first customers, right? So that's showing that there's market validation, that somebody wants your product, and but we certainly don't want people blowing their brains out. We know that they're going to have to spend some money to get the machine going, but we need to sort of ground, ground them into how are you going to start turning a profit? So I think that will be more of a catalyst. We'll certainly see, um, I believe, more health tech type of opportunities coming through the pipeline now. Um, you, you know, it's hard to unring the bell, right? So if I think about the things that have changed now, the things that were being held off in the marketplace, things like electronic signing, um, you know, so we just had a startup come through recently. We've done extremely well in the Toronto marketplace called Willful. But one of the stumbling blocks was electronic signature. Well, because of what's happened with COVID, electronic signature is now being accepted in a lot of places, a lot of places that it wasn't being accepted before. It wasn't being accepted, I think, because there was some kind of pushback within probably the legal system or somewhere else to say, we don't want this because it's going to encroach on our billing. Well, guess what? Pandora's box is now open. You can't, how are you going to shut that? Because you, your argument of, of this isn't a viable option is no longer available to you. And so that Pandora's box has been open. So we will see more potential opportunities of, of startups that need electronic signature that maybe that was one of their throttle points that wasn't allowing that. Same thing with um, uh, all of the um, applications around um, remote learning, uh, applications around um, uh, uh, video for, for um, healthcare, right? These were all things that were being held because at some institutional level, somebody was stopping it from happening, right? So when, when, it, when it, you know, with the um, healthcare model, the billing codes wouldn't be, uh, weren't being accepted. And so the uh, insurance companies and the governments weren't reimbursing the doctors fully for doing telemedicine. Well, now they are. So how do you go backwards on that? How, you know, so, so that whole telemedicine route will start to explode. Um, you know, so, so I think we're going to see some fundamental changes, and those will be those ramifications that for three years from now are going to start to play out at this point. We're going to now start seeing people, this is when invention really happens, when things have stopped or something new gets opened up it's like wow okay that just opened up a whole new avenue that wasn't available before and we can now create a whole new set of applications or business models pop out of out of out of these kind of fundamental changes so it's trying to figure out what those fundamental changes will be um what will be the next version of transit because transit's going to have to change who's going to jump back onto crowded buses again who, you know, you, you made the point of the cost of an airline ticket. Well, okay, yes, yeah, it probably will be a lot more expensive. Um, but what does it mean to the travel industry? 
uh, to a plane. How are they going to have to set those up? I was listening to uh, someone on BNN the other day talking about they were interviewing the um, uh, director at uh, Heathrow Airport. And they talked about um, just one jumbo jet landing at Heathrow. If you had to do social distancing for that, for those passengers to go through customs, it creates a kilometer and a half queue. How does that even work in an airport, right? So that's one plane. So how do you fundamentally think about all those changes that are going to have to happen? Because we will go back these, you know, we will eventually start trending back toward, uh, you know, lives again and, and, and travel and all these other things, but it's going to have to fundamentally change how we do things. And so, you know, the whole idea of, of scanning people for, for, uh, um, sickness and, uh, you know, so different technologies are going to be born out of this. And that's where I see that the three years from now, we're going to see some, I think some amazing technology that has been, that will, will pop out of this that we just haven't even thought of before because of what's happened with COVID. No, that's some, uh, that's some great, great insights. I'm going to hold it to you in three years, but I think you're, uh, uh, you're pretty bang on with that. There's a, a lot of change. There's an article that was written that Air Canada was going to be implementing these monitors for uh, heat temperature taking, and people were complaining that this was against their rights. And then you have the other side where uh, inverting seats on planes so that you can still have the same amount of people in there. Well, sorry, 30% less people on there, but you're going to be able to um, all wear masks. I think it's going to be very futuristic. We're all going to be in space suits walking around with buckets on trying to protect ourselves from the environment. But it's going to be very interesting to say the least. And I think it's just like um, all of the news that came out over the years where they were saying uh, Gen Y, Gen Z, millennials, they don't want to buy homes. They don't want to do banking. They don't want any of this stuff. And you're kind of thinking, what, where, where's this coming from? Uh, you know, everybody you talk to, they all say, uh, no, I want to own a home. I, that's what I've wanted to do since I was a kid. Like, give me a break. Who's making this stuff up? Well, I think those are the things that create change. And when you create a big enough story and get enough people saying it, they all start to believe it, right? So if we start saying that, you know what, no matter what, everything's going to have to be done in social distance, distancing, eventually people will start to agree and say, yeah, I really do need to be six feet away from somebody two years from now because who knows what that person's got. And I, I need to be sitting in my car when a doctor's office calls and I better get a clean path right to him. And uh, they better hand me a mask on the way in. So I think there's going to be a fear set that's put into the change that goes forward, but there's going to be a rebalancing where people are like, wait a second, man, I'm losing my human side here, which is, I like to just get around and do my thing. So uh, who knows where it'll all net out, but I think there's uh, a lot of change coming for sure. And a lot of new people. Yeah, and, then, and, then it's, it, and, it, and it's, you know, it's things like this that, that cause that. I mean, you know, they'll come up with a vaccine, that's fine, but then there will, there will be inevitably another, another type of, of strain of, of uh, disease will come out. I mean, SARS was there and, and, and 91 and, and, you know, so we're, we're seeing this progression. They, we, they, will, they will continue to happen, um, but it's created a, a heightened sense of urgency around the solutions. And, you know, I'm, I'm working with one startup that's working in the smart PPE space, right? So how do you create smart PPE versus just PPE? And, and so it's doing more things than just giving you protection, but it's actually actively monitoring the body and monitoring what's happening around you. You know, so these are very futuristic type of applications that, you know, really a year ago, who would have thought they'd ever have a requirement for that? Well, now there is a requirement for this kind of stuff, right? And, yeah. and so, 
you know, there, there, I think there's just really, to me, it's like, it's kind of exciting. And that's, uh, you know, like being involved in this space, this is real back to the very first question. Why am I doing this? Because you're, you're, we get a chance to see so many different cool technologies that could be implemented, you know, two, three, four years from now. And how cool is that that you get to see some of this stuff at the very early stages of when it's happening, right? And, and, and be part of helping those founders to make that dream a reality. No, I love it. And I agree with you. Uh, well, we're going to end it on that right at two. Um, that was fantastic, Galen. A lot of amazing insights. Uh, this is why I'm a big fan of you. You had a lot of cool things to share. And we're going to cut those into little tidbits and send them around and all that good stuff. But, uh, and we'll leave the big video as well. But, you know, everybody consumes a little bit versus a lot. So we're going to make this uh, work for everybody. But I appreciate all your time. Uh, we'll let the audience and everybody know when we do have this edited and ready for, uh, for everybody to see. But I want to thank you very much for your time and your insights. And uh, we'll see you, I'm sure, over the next few days somewhere online on some uh, video shooting Zoom. And we'll go from there. But thank you again for your insights, man. Thank you very much, JP. I really appreciate it. For you, any time. You're a good man. Thank you.